everybody. Welcome to UJ Sports Live. My name is Rodney DeBolsey. I'm joined by Dane Young and former Georgia Bulldogs head coach Jim Donnan. The only reason you are all tuned in here. We appreciate you joining us this Tuesday in February at noon. Signing day is tomorrow. I don't know that it'll be a very big, exciting signing day because Georgia's pretty much already wrapped up the number one class. Maybe they add somebody tomorrow. Maybe they don't. We'll discuss that more later. But uh, yeah, lead off uh, right off the bat with Coach. Uh, some sad news this morning. Country music legend Toby Keith passed away, and uh, you knew it or had met him before. So I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, uh, my association with him was mainly through my son-in-law, who went to high school uh, with him. He's a couple years behind him, but also with Coach Switzer, who uh, had several business dealings with him, and uh, just always very uh, genuine and. Uh, just one of the guys, you know, he loved sports and he was a big Sooner fan. And, uh, you know, he's fought this cancer for a long time and uh, felt like he was, you know, steadying up there. Uh, he went over to Europe and did some experimental stuff. And uh, I can't really give you any timeline, but I know he supposedly uh, did a concert last week. And uh, so, we, we knew it's probably going to happen, but maybe not quite as quick, but uh, certainly a legend. And, uh, you know, the thing about so many of uh, the stars, so to speak, uh, you, you don't get a chance to see them behind the scenes. So you, everybody's got this feeling about people are unapproachable and stuff like this. This guy just uh, one of the guys and he really enjoyed uh, being around the groups and uh, he enjoyed his background in Moore, Oklahoma, and he that's where he moved when he became a star, and uh, he developed a lot of stuff around there as far as different kinds of uh, industries and things like that. But, I mean, he was a real entrepreneur, but he gave a lot of money to uh, charity and uh, did a lot of charity events. And I never will forget uh, when his son was in junior high, he decked out the whole team. And their uniform looked really good compared to the other teams, but <laughs> it was a good, it was a good little story there. But uh, and he has that area out there uh, near his place, and that he developed uh, housing. And my daughter and uh, my son-in-law live out there, and uh, they had, they have a Christmas party every year. And one year he actually dropped by, and of course everybody thought that was awesome. But you know. Uh, and every time he saw me, he called me Jimbo. I don't know why. He said, what's going on there, Georgia, Jimbo? He said, you think we got a chance? And I said, well, you got a little bit of chance, but it's going to be hard. But but just want to make sure I was not very – I don't think anybody needs to get the pretense that I knew him on a very close basis. But I do have enough background to know that uh, we lost really – one of the great ones yesterday. Uh, well, you know better than us. That's why we mentioned him. And there's a question on the board. We'll get to it here in a minute. Uh, also, a uh, sad day yesterday in that uh, Trent Woods, one of the biggest Georgia fans you'll ever meet, son of uh, big Mike Woods. I knew Mike very well. He kept inviting me to go uh, uh, fishing. Never got a chance to do it. And I consider one of the misses of my professional, one of the benefits of you know doing what we do. Sometimes you get invitations places. I never got that chance to go with uh, big Mike to fishing i uh, hate it uh then his son trent passes away and i uh, just want to let everybody know that uh was that sudden that what was i mean I, I knew i didn't realize has he been ill or not to my knowledge i don't know what happened there i, mean, I think he's only like 46 yeah i mean uh just of course mike mike used to fix his head you know it was one of the great uh stories in college football the way he could decorate his uh helmet uh, so to speak, up there with his head with that caricature. But uh, uh, rest in peace there. I, that's, I hate to hear that. Yeah, just uh, February is depressing. It's depressing. Anyway, uh, our, our thoughts and uh, prayers are with the Woods family and the uh, Toby Keith's family. We, we hate that. Uh, let's move on to something a little more uh, exciting or a little more uh, less depressing. Uh, the Georgia Bulldogs that went down to Mobile for uh, the senior bowl, they did pretty damn well, coach. I mean, everybody was talking about Javon Bullard, Tyke Smith, Lad McConkey. 
I know you, you followed it and you watched it. Uh, let me get your initial thoughts on uh, how the Bulldogs, who are going to be drafted, helped themselves in Mobile this past week. Well, I'll just make a couple quick comments about our man Dane Young and and uh, his guy uh, Brent last night had the whole shebang about it. They got it down on these uh, – Good job on the Senior Bowl. They know all about it, so I would say people need to listen to that. And uh, but you know, I figured that Lad would do well, and he did. And Bullard, of course, is is just a great safety. He's going to fit in well there because and all that that he did as a nickel is going to help him cover more. And then, of course, Taiki, I think, proved that he can. He's physical, and uh, the game itself is just hard to recognize much about compared to the drills, but. Uh, and then, of course, uh, uh, Rosemary Saint uh, made made uh, uh, Rattler the player of the game with one catch there because Rattler, I think, is four out of four. But uh, that's delusions of grandeur because I don't think Rattler is going to be a high draft choice. He might be. But uh, but anyhow, uh, those pro scouts, like, they know Georgia guys are ready. They've been trained in the drills that they do down there. And uh, while these other guys are learning how to do them, Lad and uh, Buller and those other guys just schooling them, showing them what to do. So kudos to them and also uh, William for being a good snapper. Talk to guys- me a little more about Lad McConkey. I mean, I know those guys talked about it last night. I don't care what Dane said. I want to hear what you have to say because I know you talked to the people in place there. Uh, I thought Lad McConkey, the first couple of days, there were just clips going viral of him making uh, crazy catches going inside versus outside uh, leverage, then getting outside and making a diving catch. I mean, it's just – it felt to me like it was the Lad McConkey show. And then the subsequent practices, it's like, hey, look, at Javon Bullard shutting down this guy. Look, Ike Smith having a big day here. Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint with the uh, – uh, Jim Nagy was saying that, you know, that was my guy who really moved up. You know, he really showed himself out. Yeah. So, you would tell me a little bit about Lad because I thought it seemed like it really was the Lad show. Well, I usually don't disagree with Brent Rollins on anything, but he was talking about the so many of the guys, uh, you know, would uh, the receiver wise and other positions that would maybe move uh, Lad down. But there's going to be three receivers taken in the first seven or eight picks. Uh, when you look at the kid from uh, from uh, Washington, will probably be the, after the other two, and then the kid from Neighbors from LSU, and then. Of course, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. from Ohio State, they'll go in the first seven or eight. So that's going to help McConkie, I think, because get those guys out of the way, and then he, he'll go to the uh, combine and, and show out. Uh, they just want to see the physical and, and see how he does when they check his back out. If, he, if his back's okay, uh, he's going to go no low, lower than early second round, maybe late first. Wow, that, that blows my mind. Uh, now, talk to me a little bit about Marcus Roseby Jack Saint because that is a guy who I've said on the show numerous times. The first time we got a really good interview with him put up by UGA, every question was about his blocking, and I almost felt like he was a you know right guard or a left tackle the way everybody asked him about blocking. But he just didn't have that many catches to his credit. And then all of a sudden, he really came on, showed what you know what he could do. And I thought, and I didn't watch as many of the practices and clips as you did, but Every time I saw it, it looked like he was just out muscling somebody, just ripping a ball away, getting in better position, fighting for those contested balls. And I'm like, that's the guy we saw in that freshman year. He's just yeah, here's he's the a big boy. About, here's the thing about him that uh, sticks out. You know, we had some premier receivers like Pickens and and uh, the, the kid that went to Texas and, and uh, also Burton. And these guys weren't near as geared in to blocking as maybe what Kirby wanted. And so uh, Rosemary got a lot more reps maybe in games just because of that. And and then he was in there when there were some RPOs called and the balls were thrown to him and he made the catches, particularly inside breaking routes when you had to have it. He, he just money there. And uh, the thing about the NFL that all of our fans know that listen to the show is 53-man roster, you've got to be able to help your team out in other ways if you're down the line. If you're a third or fourth or fifth receiver, you're going to have to be a guy on special teams that can cover kicks, can block on kickoffs, can block on, uh, you, you know, different areas that you're needed on punt. 
And so he's going to have that in his uh, wheelhouse when he goes up there because they're going to have acres and acres of tape of him doing it in practice and also games. And one thing I'd point out again that the NFL scouts look at that's going to help them with Amarius Mims, they say, well, he didn't have – people say he didn't have enough game tape and all that. Probably didn't. But he does have uh, yards and yards of tape blocking Jalen Carter, blocking Walker, blocking all these edge rushers uh, with those uh, nimble feet that he, that he has and those long arms. And they don't care about seeing him block against Vanderbilt and all those people. They see that, and then he'll go to the uh, combine, and he'll just be uh, – they'll just look at him. Like I said, the first time I saw him, I thought, you know, we had uh, – uh, that Shaq was walking in the building. I mean, he's that kind of looking kid and uh, he's got really good personality. Maybe not as tough as some people would like for him to be, but uh, he's going to end Broward's going into first two, I mean, first 15, then Bullard, Laster, and uh, and McConkie going to go in the next 25. So that's going to give us five in about the first 40. Uh, I've also thought that Tyke Smith kind of showed out. don't like getting into the people that say, well, it's all about size. To me, the NFL is all about potential. And I thought that uh, he's, he's not the biggest guy out there, but I thought this year he showed a ton of potential. He's very effective as it was you know, last year. And I thought at the uh, mobile, Taki Smith showed that, Hey, I can, I can play all over the place. And I can make plays against some big receivers. He went up against a, a tight end and put up 50 pounds and five inches and knocked the ball away. And I'm like, Hell, Tyke, that, that's pretty damn impressive. Well, a couple things about Tyke. First of all, he, he left a program where he was an All-American because he played a position where he was in, in around the, the ball a lot. They didn't play a lot of man coverage at West Virginia, and he was a, just a ball hawk, hawk. And his coach came here uh, as the secondary coach, and he followed him here. Unfortunately, he sustained an ACL injury right off the bat that really put him behind the eight ball. But what I like about him is that he adapted. He realized that he wasn't a good cover guy. wasn't his fault. He hadn't been asked to do that. But he had to learn how to be a cover guy to go with his tackling skills, with his punt covering skills, and all the things that you just look at Taiki and say, this guy's a pro player. But in the case of both Bullard and Taiki, the advantage they're going to have, particularly in the red zone, uh, when teams want to play man coverage, they've got to let their safeties play man on somebody. They, they, they're they going to have a nickel guy in there, but if they want to come with a five- or six-man pressure, they're going to have guys in there that, that are going to have to cover people. And they have an inordinate amount of practice time and game tape where they played the nickel position and had to cover slot receivers, not tight ends. They've had to play against Tennessee's guys and uh, Auburn's guys and Alabama's guys. And and we've kind of bagged on them some about that's not one of their real advantages, but they've taken it and made it a weakness that is really now a strength for the safety position. They can cover better than most safeties now, certainly not corners, but yeah. – I just think that's going to be huge uh, talking to some of the pro guys that, that have come around here and to some of the people like the Daniel, Jeremiah, some of these guys, they like that. And that's going to probably be worth 20, 30 positions in a draft for him as far as moving higher because he can do that. The other thing is both he and Bullard, both King Kong on the uh, special teams. I'm talking about guys that can, make tackles in space because you can cover like crazy up there, but then you've got these little jump around uh, receivers or return guys and you miss them as the, as the gunner, then they got 15 yards, which is a one and a half first downs. And that's big in the NFL. So watching them pro bowl here, let's, I mean, excuse me, in the, uh, in the super bowl, let's see if they can get any return yardage. I mean, uh, that's that's one of the things that you're going to have with Bullard. Also, uh, Rosemary can cover him too. So I'm high on that phase of it, which a lot of people don't talk about. But uh, give me all the Tyke Smith you can have. And, of course, Bullard, I'm just telling you, uh, that guy, 
he'll be one of those safeties that they're talking about up there coming off the hash and delivering. And they, they don't have the, quite the targeting rules that we have. He's going to knock some people's blocks off, I can tell you that. And it, it may not count in terms of numbers of Georgia draftees, but this is going to happen more and more, and we've seen it with Georgia already, to where players that have transferred away from Georgia and still are high picks in the NFL, like A.D. Mitchell is going to be a valuable player for some team in the NFL, and he was largely developed at Georgia. He had great coaching at Texas, I'm not saying that, but just there are so many things that Georgia will be able to kind of take credit for with some of these guys that transfer away that I don't know that that gets as much national love. Good point. I will say this. One of the big benefits that, that I think that Kirby instills in our practice is there's no time off. I mean, just because they're special teams, that doesn't mean that the O-line's resting or the uh, anybody that's not in that drill's resting. They're doing something to enhance their skills. And I was really impressed with uh, Todd Munkin from the standpoint that during that period, which would be 10 minutes for punt coverage or 10 minutes for whatever it might be, uh, punt return, kickoff coverage, kickoff return, he always took the the guys that weren't involved, even Darnell Washington, uh, and took them out there and stepped them through the breaks on each route, not so much running full speed. And I guarantee you, to the, the rest of my life, I remember him showing – A.D. Mitchell, how he wanted to run that route on the goal line that they called for the touchdown pass from Stetson Bennett that made the difference in us winning the national championship. The way he was able to get his weight over his shoulders, step to the inside and break back out on that guy. You can see it right now in, in Mercedes-Benz. But that was coaching to the max. And these guys are going to have – and I'm, I'm telling you, these other coaches around the country, they coach – technique and they do all that but they don't some of them don't do near as much one-on-one -on -one as we do uh, because they don't have enough depth they're worried about injuries and all that so uh, our guys develop because they're going to get against each other uh, a lot more and uh, that individual I'm glad you brought that up about A.D. Mitchell he's going to be I mean he'd probably go before Lad because of his size and speed but he, he's an ultimate route runner, too, and you're going to see the same thing. We saw that last year with uh, Bell. When he was called on to run a route to get open, he knew how to do it. Even against Vanderbilt, love it. A little, oh, yeah. little inside and then back out. And one more route for, for A.D. Mitchell that you'll always remember against Auburn three years ago on the goal line. He ran that in and out, and Stetson hit him right in the numbers for a big touchdown just uh, when we really had to have it. So those are little things that I love as a coach, and I'm sure our fans here don't want to hear me. Oh, they do. Well, that's stuff but, we don't notice. I mean, we, we didn't know he, that he really, he, really uh, he, he learned how to be a skill guy that was a technician with the way uh, our guys coach. And uh, I, I really like that. Uh, and and they get they go against those defensive backs, which – you know, we don't penalize them in practice. They throw flags for holding, but they hold them all day out there in practice. It's terrible. I mean, in the Kirby – wouldn't let his secondary hold. Kirby gets on him about it, but he also says, good job, good coverage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Daniel Jeremiah. I know how much you respect him. Everybody in the industry respects him. Uh, did you get any uh, thoughts from him on what, you know, his uh, watching of the Senior Bowl and anybody that stood out to him? No, not anything in particular. You know, he's always asking me for – not always. That's a bad – you know, occasionally asking me for some uh, nuggets on guys. And uh, But the first day he, he was blown away by McConkie and was asking me, uh, you know, about his back more than anything because that's what people are asking about because he did miss, you know, a lot of games. I mean, any way you look at it, uh, he and Bowers both uh, – it was significant to our team, but uh, you know when he gives him when he gives the guy a stamp of approval, this guy checks him out. I, I, I unequivocally think he's the guru of uh, of scouting up there, and he does his homework. Now he studies them, and he's got yards and yards of tape that he watches. But uh, 
if, if he gives his stamp on a guy, then there's a pretty good chance. Mel Kuyper's good too. And all these others got these different little things that they do on them. But uh, I, I'm looking forward to the next month and a half because you're going to have the combine, then you're going to have the personal workouts, then you're going to have the pro days. And, uh, and certainly George will be a who's who for just like last year, all those pro guys come in here and, it's something to see them here on campus. But I just remember that Green Bay general manager uh, saying that uh, Georgia's a gold standard for uh, evaluating to come in here and watch their players because they know they've been trained the way they need them up there. And you look at all the players that they've drafted, and now the Steelers had three starters on offense, the Eagles. We got more. We got more players on their team than they've got coaches that were there last year. They're changing coaches, man. Unbelievable yeah. change in coaches. It is a crazy carousel up there. Uh, we'll take a quick break and mention our own. We'll get to some questions when we come back here. But you're talking about the gold standard. The gold standard when it comes to getting a franchise is to reach out to myperfectfranchise.net. Andy Lubecki is the gold standard. He can help you out with it. And the people are like, well, I don't know what goes into franchises. Well, go to myperfectfranchise.net. And we'll have a lot of, I don't call them uh, FAQs, kind of the most frequently asked questions. And one of them is like, you know, what is the process? He's got a whole list on the process. He goes, what are the categories? How do, how do I do this? You say there's 3,000. Are they all restaurants? What are they? He has them listed by his types. He can be the owner operator where you work there all the time. You could be the person where you're kind of a, semi-absentee where you hire somebody to run it for you and basically you know you oversee it uh you can be the ma master franchisee where you have a ton of franchises in the area there's all sorts of stuff that you can do depending on how much time you have how much uh, effort you want to put into it how much money you have uh, how much you want to finance reach out to myperfectfranchise.net andy ludecky will get you squared away and take great care of you uh, speaking of a great franchise opportunity i always tell people Hey, if you want a good franchise, go to go check out your pie. Your pie is not a, a dessert company. They don't make uh, pies and stuff like that. They actually make uh, pizzas. So if you go to my perfect franchise, I mean, go to your pie, check them out. Uh, you will see the uh, uh, opportunities there. There's like 70 different locations. They're really, really good. Uh, they have a new product out that I want folks to think about. So and they came in an email to me because you know they they'll send you emails if you let them. Uh, they're going to have wings now, wings at your pie. So if you're thinking, uh, hey, I always wanted to open a burger and wing joint or a uh, pizza and wing joint. Well, hell, now if you want to open that franchise, you can open the franchise that actually sells wings. So if you if you haven't done anything new uh, or you don't think there's anything new at your pie, well, you'd be mistaken because they're always coming up with new pizzas. Well, now they've got wings. So you need to go to your pie, check them out on Tuesday, and go ahead and order some of their wings. The flavors look fascinating. I think you will very much enjoy them. I haven't tried them yet. I just saw the email this past do week. They have, do they have a lemon yaki? They don't have lemon yaki, but they did have a lemon pepper parmesan. So okay. I'm just saying the flavors are I, fascinating. I'll go for that. I'll go for that. But that lemon we'll, yaki. We'll hook you up when I get back into town later this week. Yeah, I was just going to ask Dane uh, you got anything else to add on that on the senior bowl there that uh, that you guys might have come up with? I felt like we talked enough about it last night, Coach. If people want to see my thoughts on it, they can go there. I mean, overall, it's the same stuff. Lad McConkey is a superstar, and if he's healthy, he's going to be a fantastic player in the NFL. And I just, when you look at McConkey, when you look at AD Mitchell and the development he got at Georgia. Rosemary Jack saying all of a sudden you look at it and say this wide receiver position at Georgia, which for however many years wasn't as dynamic or nationally compelling as what Alabama was doing or what LSU did in 19. All of a sudden you look at it and say, Georgia's made a lot of strides a wide receiver and the pros are, are showing that. Yeah. We just don't have, you know, that, that one class 2019 of LSU receivers is not fair. Really. Uh, <laughs> watch that. Uh, watch that. Game against Clemson, ugly. But uh, also, uh, you know, you think about Pickens, people don't realize the impact he's made with the Steelers. And uh, certainly uh, they've had a trouble with their offense. And uh, hopefully Arthur Smith can go up there and get some of that FedEx money in there and get them rolling. <laughs> 
Coach, I did want to ask you, and I themed this show about this, because the end of last season in college football and then 2024 moving forward with the expanded playoff, 12-team playoff, it is going to be a change for what we've seen at the top of college football. But it's not a change in different levels of college football. And I instantly thought of, and I've never even talked to you about this in terms of coaching strategy, your Marshall teams were right in the thick of this, where you play – the 16-team playoff, I believe it was, played 15 games in 1992 when you won the national championship. So what is different about what Georgia has done in playoffs compared to what Georgia will be doing? It may only be one extra game if you're a top-four seed, but if you're not, it's two extra games you have to play at that point. What's the change? Well, the biggest thing is you've got to prep your team as far as uh, kind of not going crazy at the end of the year practice-wise because – Instead of saying, okay, we got one week to go and all that, now you got, uh, you, you know, before the championship. And then we got the SEC championship game too, I mean. So, uh, but what we try to do is cut back in practice, do uh, less time. And the, the problem we had compared to UGA, we only had 60, you know, 65 scholarships or, and, uh, or 62, I can't even remember. And then only 56 could play in the championship game in the, uh, for money-wise and travel. They wouldn't let you dress out but 56. So, you know, we got caught a couple of times where it really hurt us. Our punter got hurt. And uh, we, we had a second-team punter, but he was terrible. And uh, our, our center got hurt. And our, our center that was behind him couldn't snap in the shotgun. And uh, really, really was a detrimental to us. Uh, one of my best teams ever, any team I ever coached. Uh, our center smoked some weed and uh, basically, you know, a lot of reasons we didn't win, but we couldn't have, we couldn't operate out of the gun against Boise State and uh, they ended up beating us. But uh, I don't know why we have to talk about that right now. I was feeling pretty good today. But, <laughs> uh, but, but seriously, you know, you know you're going to play if you're a good team, you're going to play that many games. So you got to prepare your practices. And we would go out in shoulder pads and shorts or sweats, you know, the last three weeks of regular season. And then uh, we tried to save as much money as we could. If we had a long trip, we tried to fly that last trip just so we could uh, save the, the, the energy a little bit from, from what you go on one of those Ben-Hur long bus trips, you know, eight or nine hours takes it out of you. So that's, but they're not going to be involved in that. But, uh, you know, the pundits that say, well, these kids can't handle it. Let me just tell you, it's, it's not going to be near the issue because you look at Georgia's team, you know, some of our guys play 25, 30 snaps a game max. And uh, there are some that play more, but, uh, and uh, the way we, you know, way ahead in the third and fourth quarter, I just don't think it's going to be near the issue. Plus, you're practicing for the bowl games or the playoff games. You're usually doing high contact on Saturday anyhow. You're just now playing a game. So I think it really opens up the situation where, like this year, you everybody would have loved to have 12 games, 12 teams. So Georgia would have been in it for sure. We had one little faux pas there, and we're out. So you lose – you don't have to just win every game or lose one. I think SEC teams, if you're really good, can get in there with two losses. Now, I, th- I also think when people talk about, well, it's too many games, it's too many games. But then the same people will say, I love the fact that Georgia's practices are harder than the games. Well, p- hey, pick a lane. If you, if you want the practices to be harder than the games, then don't bitch about the games being, being so many of them. Georgia practices a lot. Yeah, good point. But let me just say this. How can you be a realistic football fan or call yourself a football junkie and not like to have more games. I mean, all these basketball people, they're talking about adding some more. They got what how many they got in there? 68 teams in the finals. 68. NCA and then you know they have a playoff game and up there in uh, a play in game up there in Ohio oh. to see who gets on there and neither one of the teams even know how to get there. And then they playing in the playing the number one seed in the next game. And, but nobody gripes about it in basketball. So uh, uh, I just think. And to your point, uh, one of the questions we have uh, 
is about George replacing his tight ends. And the, the person mentioned the fact that George had two generational tight ends in Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington. And I agree. I mean, you, Brock Bowers, three-time All-American, Darnell Washington, absolute unicorn. You just don't see guys like that. And one of the things that frustrated me about this particular season was the fact that you had so few games in which Brock Bowers and Ladd McConkie were healthy at the same time, and you saw the difference it made. And they're, aside from Georgia's getting in the playoffs, which I think they definitely were a playoff team, they should have been in the top four. Uh, give me a couple more games of Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers over on that, you know, on that same side. Give me Brock Bowers and you know Cedric Van Pran again. Give, you know, give me the players that you want to see. There's so many. You talk about George Pickens. How much of the his seasons did George Pickens miss? He missed a lot of games. He finally got healthy at the end there. Yeah, you, look you will back. lose some players, but a longer season. But you also get some back and get to watch them. So if you're a football fan, more games is great. Right, Darnell missed a lot of time too. Yeah, absolutely I mean, did. Nice Broke his foot, foot injury, and uh, but when he when he and Bowers were in there together, it really wasn't fair. I mean, it was a mismatch. But, but I think that's why you got to recruit. We've recruited two good tight ends that are here now to go along with the three we got, and. Uh, See how it rolls. Let me wrap this by just bragging on Coach's run in that bracket because, you know, everyone loves a good bracket here. Marshall beat Eastern Kentucky 44-0. Then beat Middle Tennessee 35-21. Then beat Delaware 28-7. And then the national championship in your home stadium, 31-28 over Youngstown. Yeah, I'm just going to give you a nugget from each game. So tell me one there. and All I'll right. Um, 44 nothing over Eastern Kentucky. That was when the Eastern Kentucky coach came out and, and when the preliminary pregame was telling me how bad his pregame meal was. <laughs> and I said, well, ours was really good, Roy. And then after the game, his wife came up to me and said she appreciated us not running it up. We didn't run it up on him. We beat him pretty bad. He was a good coach, but we love beating Eastern Kentucky, that's for sure. Then the next one was against two Delaware. Uh, Middle Tennessee, 35-21. to 21. Hey, you know who was playing for Middle Tennessee that day was Jeremy Pruitt. He was a defensive back. But uh, our quarterback, who was a Walter Payton player of the year, uh, uh, Michael got hurt in the second se- second series. And a couple weeks before we had played uh, in a game, and uh, I had put my son in who was a quarterback, and he was only a – sophomore and uh i kind of kind of just really didn't cut him loose like i needed to and one of my friends that uh, had a lot of confidence in said something to me after the game said hey these guys are going to respond like you coach them i said that's the first time i've ever seen you coach scared i said well i was just trying to make sure he got his feet wet and everything he said hey if he's gonna be the guy you never know the quarterback might get hurt you got to go with it and i remembered that when the first play after Peyton got hurt, we threw a 65-yard post, and uh, I think I think they were surprised more than we were that we ran it. But Todd came in there as a big win for us over Boots Donnelly. That was probably the best team we played. And then Delaware, I'm on the sideline, and this guy breaks over there right in front of me, and our kid makes the tackle. And I swear I thought he came off the bench to tackle him. And I went, I went out there and just kind of shielded him and told him, good job, but get over. I said, did you come off the bench and tackle that guy? He said, no, I didn't. I said, well, it sure looked like it. But, but we, were, we were playing Tubby, Tubby Raymond, the father of the wing tee, and we had a really good key for him because every time their guards pull, they pull both guards. We just feel the backside backer, and we caught him from behind a lot. And then, of course, the uh, championship game, I had to kick off my – first team kicker because he'd been challenging me all year about being late and he missed a pregame d- deal that we had to take everybody's picture there under the goalpost and he didn't show up. And I asked the team, I said, look, I'm not going to let this guy play, but it's too much riding on it. And they voted 55. There's only 56. They voted 55 to nothing to not let him play. So that everybody was pissed off at him anyhow. Well, anyhow, his brother never kicked a kick in his life. And he was the backup because he was a soccer player, and he had to kick that field goal to beat Youngstown. So that was kind of an interesting scenario there. 
Wow. I, mean, but I, I couldn't do it. National championship on the line. I got a guy that doesn't kick, you know, just kicked off his brother. Hope he makes this. Nah, I don't, I don't ever want to be a coach. <laughs> One thing I love about going through that, all the stories that you have with that coach is I've heard Georgia players that were on that 2017 season and I know they didn't win the national championship. So maybe that would adjust, you know, the thoughts there. But so many had said that that Rose Bowl was their favorite game in that experience. It's not always the final game, the one that stands out, but the journey to get there sometimes. And I think this playoff is going to do that for a lot of these teams. Yeah, you're exactly right. And an interesting paradox for me because they're playing Oklahoma. And, of course, all of my family's pulling for Oklahoma. And and it puts me in a real tough position. But uh, they still bag on old uh, Lincoln Riley about a lot of things, you know, particularly leaving and going to Southern Cal, but, you know, taking the air out of the ball in the second half, which I'm, I know Kirby was glad to see it too, but uh, that was a tremendous comeback and great coaching by Kirby and Mel Tucker. Our defense, you know, did a good job. And then offense just exploited them there. And uh, just it was a fantastic win. I mean, just uh, it goes down as one of the best games ever, I think. Another great game in the in the Rose Bowl was at uh, 42-41 when Wisconsin beat USC and uh, yeah, and that was just a maybe it was forty two forty I don't know but it was uh, one of the all time great ones. The, the AD at uh, Wisconsin for a long time was the tight end in that game and he he was a great player. We're going to move on from that. I want to get into some of the questions here. But first, I want to mention our friends out at Academia Brewing Company. Because, uh, you notice I've got the uh, Mardi Gras lights behind me. They've got some Mardi Gras specialties out there. And, of course, when it's not time for a specialty, if it's not, there's not, no special going on, you can always go by on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday and get their beer and biscuit brunch. I always have a hard time saying that, but it's fantastic if you go out there. The biscuits are great. You want biscuits like your grandma makes, you know, or used to make. Try the biscuits out at uh, Academia Brew Company. You're like, how the hell does a beer company or a brewery make good biscuits? Well, they do. And if you get the one with the chicken in it that me and my son love so much, we'll be very happy. Of course, if you want to have a uh, Valentine's Day is what? Today is the sixth. You got eight days until Valentine's Day gets here. Um, they're going to have some great stuff going on out there for valentine's day stop by the brewery get one of the jack's cheesecakes they have some specialties out there but this is what i was talking about to open it uh they love mardi gras out at uh, academia brewing company and they've had a bunch of specials out there their latest one is the seafood etouffee with blue crab and shrimp uh they say it's so good it'll convince you in, you're, you're in new orleans uh while supplies last so get out to academia brewing company while you have the chance and before they run out of blue crab and shrimp while you're on that side of town, swing by our friends over at Athens Ford. And if you want to uh, get a new vehicle or a pre-owned vehicle, or hell, uh, you want to sell your vehicle, or you need to get your vehicle serviced, check out our friends at Athens Ford. They do a fantastic job. They're huge Georgia fans. And I don't mean they're just doing it because they're in Athens. I know that if you go out there, they're all watching it. They're screaming. They're going crazy. If they're working on a Saturday that the Georgia's going on, the game is going on. They support them in basketball, baseball, tennis, you know, you name it. They're not just uh, fair weather fans. They eat, breathe, live, die Georgia football. So if you were looking to support people who support your Bulldogs, and they do, you see Kirby Smart riding around. He's, you see the uh, dog walk coming, and they've got you know, their uh, cheerleaders and people driving in the trucks and stuff. All that stuff comes from Athens Ford. So check them out, and you will be very happy that you did. Coach, did you get the, the vehicles when you were head coaches at these places? Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, I didn't get a Lamborghini. <laughs> uh, hey, I just want to mention talking about other sports. If if you got something to do this afternoon that's not that important, something it is. We're playing Georgia Tech in tennis today at 2 30. Uh and the tech's better than they normally are, and we're not quite as good. So we need all the fans out there to get behind Coach Diaz. Coach Diaz 36 and one against the York Georgia Yick. And the one that he lost still it sticks in his crawl. So uh, we got to we got to go out there and pull them through. So if you get a chance, come on out there and pull for the dog. It's a lot of fun. I mean, uh, nothing wrong with heckling uh, Georgia Tech. So get out there. <laughs> hey, it's sunny too. What is what's the temperature going to be out there? Well, it's 
supposed to be 58, but wind chill worries me a little bit. But I think I'm going to take a toboggan. Let's get to questions from UGASports.com. Sumpter Dog One, and I'm assuming this is from the Americas area with that name. I love Coach Donnan's stories. Do you have any good ones from recruiting in South Georgia? We don't have enough time on that. <laughs> uh, it's unbelievable some of the things that, that happened to me in South Georgia. Most of them all good, but I remember one time we landed on this runway that didn't have very good lights and then had a good home visit. And then we got back out there and the, the guy couldn't get the dang plane cranked. And uh, I said, so what are we going to do? He said, well, he said, we're going to have to get somebody to come pick us up. But, uh, well, let's just wait about 20 minutes and maybe it'll crank. I said, well, can you see? He said, I can see good enough to get it up and, you know, get it up in the air. And so finally cranked up and we went, I mean, it's just life or death deals. I can't believe I did that. I mean, I mean, you got to get out of the plane and to go, but, but we did it. And uh, some of these schools going in there, you know, and uh, Kirby goes through it now and he does a great job of it. Uh, you know, they want to, the difference is now everybody's got a phone. They want to get their picture made with the coach. And back then they had cameras and they take you to the library. And, you know, it's a big deal. Whoever the Georgia coach is coming into those schools and the, Kirby was telling me last week he was out in South Georgia and they had three different elementary schools brought their kids out there to watch him land in that helicopter. I mean, that's got to be a great thrill. That's awesome. Those kids. And, uh, boy, he got the hammer down on Friday. He went to 10 schools in South Georgia and just amazing the schedule he had. And then he got back in time to see two recruits and then watch his son play basketball. And then he went back to see somebody else later that night. So. Big weekend for the dogs. Similar question from Jeremy Rome. What recruits mother or grandmother cooked you a meal that you still think about? Well, there's some that I really think about and some I don't want to remember because they weren't <laughs> very good. But that was always hard. Uh, I remember one time we had this kid that we wanted and uh, we went in there and his mother said, hey, would would y'all like some uh, pound cake? And we said, yeah, let's have it. Let's have it. And and they, she said, would, would you like something to drink? And we said, no, that's fine. You know, that's fine. And uh, so the coach was with me, Chris Selfo. He took one bite. He said, you got any milk? <laughs> <laughs> it was dry. Now. It was really dry. Now I'm telling you. And then, uh, one time we were in this kid's house and uh, he had big, big family. And we were, I'm sitting at the head of the kitchen table. We were in the kitchen and there was this cat on the ledge behind. If you just imagine that there's a ledge behind my head here and he's just walking around the ledge and I'm giving this kid about as good a close as I've ever given one. I mean, I'm ready to close him out. And that cat jumps on top of my head. And I go completely bananas, man. I don't even, I mean, I didn't try to knock it off, but it, it really kind of turned me off pretty bad. But uh, but they they got the cat off my head. But uh, sounds like a cartoon. And then I I told Roddy this before, but I don't remember if you were still on the if you'd started on the show. But we went to see Adrian Hollingshead, and uh, unfortunately, his family had uh, passed away, and his, he and his brothers were taking care of uh, younger brothers. And they had this big, big dog out front on the chain. And I'm talking about this, this dog was scary now. And uh, we had to go in and the chain was right up to where you, he was barking at you. And uh, you didn't have cell phones in or anything to call up and say you could go in. So I said, Hey, Chris, or whoever's with me, I don't remember is Leon Perry or who it was. I said, you got to go in there first and get that dog before I'm going in there, you know. And uh, so he kind of dodged him all in. He's barking all the way, snapping at his heels and got in there. But you do what you got to do. Uh, and uh, Rocking him and being the head coach. Uh, you got to get eaten because I got to sign this kid. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I spent the night at the McDonald's one time uh, outside of McDonald's waiting for a kid the next morning to, to meet him, to take him to get – get uh sign sign him up 
as an assistant coach. And uh, about the time I was getting ready to go meet him in there, here comes Howard Snellenberger and two other Miami guys and took him right away. So I didn't get him, but I stay out there the whole night. I think uh, Tennessee has done that a time or two, but in different ways. Hey, keep it classy now. Keep it classy. Blocker 57, Coach, do you have any thoughts on the new SEC Big Ten group that was formed or the SEC expansion? He's hoping that North Carolina gets in so he can watch the dogs a little bit closer to home. Blocker 57 is is working up in North Carolina. I think Big Ten certainly going to look at North Carolina, particularly with – People don't realize how many television sets there are in North Carolina. I mean, it's a big state, and uh, there's a lot of, you know, the same thing with Virginia. I think both of them bring a lot to the table, maybe more so than Florida State or Clemson does from the standpoint of just the viewing situation. But uh, Florida State, of course, brings a lot, but they got they already got Florida. So I, I don't know about this. It sounds good. It sounds like – they're saying, hey, we don't need anybody else. Let's, If we need to have a policy that's going to be different than NCAA, if they're not going to do it, then let's do it because we pretty much control it when you look at the two leagues now. I mean, the better teams where they are. So, uh, you know, with USC and Washington uh, coming in along with Oregon uh, into the uh, Pac-12, um, from the Pac-12 into the Big Ten and then, us picking up Oklahoma and Texas. So I'm sure there's a lot of good thought process behind it, but uh, I don't really know that they can dictate policies unless you break from the, uh, you know, unless everybody's willing to accept them. It seems like they just found dance partners that the Big Ten and SEC are, are moving in lockstep, which even as of 2020, that wasn't the case for those two leagues. Yeah, I mean, the reality is, there's going to be another big TV deal for this coming up for this playoffs. And, you know, we're going to have the majority of the teams in it. Anyway, you look at it, they're going to come from the big 10 and, and the SEC. I mean, they're, they're, you know, at least eight would come from there. I would think. I agree. And now they're not going to say, Hey, let's get an equal split across all the conferences from the TV money. They're like, no, no, no. Plus we don't even know how you're setting this thing up. We don't, you know, it's, uh, there's still too many unanswered questions. We're going to get ahead of it and dictate how this thing's going to go. So. Yeah, and and then the other thing that the elephant in the room is the revenue sharing that's being proposed by the NCA, saying, you know, we're going to we want you to take some of the better schools, get in a, a, a get together, and then have rules where you take some of your money and support NIL with the TV money, which would be good because it'll take a burden off the donors and all if you can get that rolling. So, you know, they're proposing that. And I I would think that the big 10 and sec are looking at that, how they can make it where they can still have the other sports. Cause all of a sudden you start taking a big chunk out of the TV revenue. Then how are you going to fund all these other sports that play because they don't fund themselves. Question from Bulldog Ben. Coach, what are players focused on right now? Is it building strength, learning the playbook, trying to understand what the pecking order is? What are they doing? Pretty much all of that because uh, each kid's kind of looking at his situation. How can I improve myself? I mean, Coach Smart will give them a goal sheet where they'll fill fill out what their individual goals are, their team goals, their position goals, you know, whatever they might be. And then, you know, it's one thing to make a goal, but how are you going to get there? And uh, they work with Scott Sinclair individually on strength, if they need to develop strength in certain areas, quickness in areas, and they're doing that. And then as far as learning the playbook, uh, that's probably one of the best things NCAA came out with a few years ago where you can spend up to eight hours a week in meetings and on the field with the players uh, doing things that are football related to help them get ready for spring practice. So we, we maximize that, you know, in between what you call walkthroughs where you show them how to do things and then show them the actual tape. And uh, the one thing that I've always been a great believer in, a picture's worth a thousand words. So you show what you want to teach them and then you show them the good ways that this play worked and the bad way. So you can be prepared for both. 
you know, to anticipate this is what happens if you don't take a step with your inside foot or if you don't hit them with your outside forearm or if you don't take an inside release or if you don't read the free safety or whatever. But it's a good combination of the three, the, the actual meeting itself, showing the play, then showing the good, then showing the bad. So they can get up to eight hours a week. Legally, How many hours is Curtis Smart doing? Legally eight, but I don't think we break the rule. But uh, certainly, I don't know if you got anybody keeping time either. So who knows? We'll have one more question from the event, but after uh, one final break here. I want to mention real quick our friends over at the Road Shop. They're not normally a sponsor on this podcast. I'm going to mention them real quick because they have a pretty good deal going on right now. If you check out, and in the comments section there, we have a $100 gift card that they're giving away. And if you follow our post-game overreaction show or any of our breaking news, we will mention the Rogue Shop quite frequently simply because uh, they're huge supporters of college football. The guy that runs it, he and his wife pretty much create all this stuff. It's not some giant corporation. It's a small mom-and-pop business. And if you check out in the comment section there, there's the link to get a $100 uh, gift card to the Rogue Shop. So check them out. If you have chronic pain or you have trouble sleeping, the Rogue Shop folks have something for you. Plus, they have a medication for your pets. So check them out. From Dog 18 Coach, thanks for all that you do. Knowing what you know today about college football and its environment with NIL, transfer portal, academic pressure, recruiting year, all that, plus just normal coaching responsibilities, would you do it all over again and coach in college football if you started your career today? In a New York minute. <laughs> I love it. The reason I say that, you know, uh, you just can't live without it if if you've ever been in it. I mean, it's just it's just the competitive part of it. Uh, certainly, there's money involved and all that, but just the uh, just the thrill of being around competitive athletics. I would never take anything for it. I'm, I'm just telling you, and that's not being mushy or anything. Uh, I miss miss that part every day. Not as much as I miss my wife, but I, I miss it. And uh, it's you, you can't imagine the, uh, the the way that I feel about athletics uh, and how much it means to me to be involved as little as I am, but just to be around it. You know, it's just uh, it's nothing like it. I mean, you think about all the people that have touched your life in athletics and a way you've been, you know, the mentors you've had and the way they've helped you out. And I, I would love to be, I mean, if somebody offered me a job today, I'd take it just because I got nothing else to do, but I don't know if I got enough, if I can move around good enough, but uh, I should, I could coach their ass up. I promise you that. Well, that's the thing we, there's been a lot of people saying, well, well, coaches are going to leave the profession. I'm like, okay, let them leave. Let them go to the NFL. Let them, let them do I can point to 50 people who will take their place in a New York second saying, look, uh, I right. want to be a coach. Oh, I got to recruit 365 days a year. Fine. I'll recruit. I, there's, it's part of It's part of their DNA, but you can work it out too. Just like I said, COVID year helped show the coaches what they can do if they, if they don't put quite as much priority on this and a little bit more family time and all that. And it's really helped broadened. Uh, their their lives with their family, the fact that, that you just can't be uh, spend more time with everybody else's kids than you do your own. I mean, that's just shouldn't be like that. But uh, I did a lot better job with, and I apologize to my kids all the time. I did a lot better job with my grandkids than I ever did with my kids. I mean, I, I really, I really regret so many things I missed uh, in their growing up, but hey, pay, you know, we won a lot of games, but uh, still, I don't know if that was worth it, but made up for it with uh, grandkids and now with Venmo. That, that's <laughs> that Venmo working out for you, Grandpa. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Nothing better. I'm telling you, when y'all get grandkids, younger, when you get grandkids, there's nothing better than get a FaceTime from your grandson or granddaughter or anybody. Just, it's awesome. It's awesome. 
Uh, that's all the questions from the event, Roddy. We have four minutes. I don't know if you want to sneak in more from, from your end. Yeah. Um, uh, Barking Bill says, do you ever think we will see a scrimmage against another team at the end of spring? I wish we would. I mean, it makes too much sense. You see the pro teams do it. Uh, they go and work against each other. And instead of going against your own team, you get a chance to, uh, you know, I would say, just spend the day with them, do drills and do that, and then finish with a scrimmage and, and understand that you've got some parameters. You're going to do so much ones versus ones, but you're going to let the twos and threes play. But you're going to really get a chance to evaluate your players against some other people and uh, take the money and give it to a charity. I mean, that'd be great. But, uh, you know, there's there's always people who are going to look at it the other side of it and say, well, it's too much chance for injury. And probably there could be because let's just say some guy wants to be a hero and takes a cheap shot or something. So there, there's some downside to it too. But it would, it would be good to see it, that's for sure. I agree. Will we ever see it? Hey, now that you've got the SEC and uh, Big Ten talking, maybe one of them, they say, hey, all bets are off. We can do what we want. Uh, another question for Big Sky Dog, who's a frequent – Question asker, we appreciate that. He says, uh, how much can we expect a player to improve from year to year? It seems like some guys like Malachi Starks already have it, while others like Nylon Green never do. How much can coaches really develop a player versus how many are just great? Well, in all fairness to Nylon Green, he definitely improved. There's no question about it. But compared to some players he was going against, he couldn't make the move. And Malachi's uh, bring up the fact that uh, this first spring uh, he was lost out there. And Will Muschamp was telling me, he said, look, when this guy learns what to do, it's not even going to be fair. And you saw what he did. So uh, w- he wasn't the proven product right off the bat. So I think it's just uh, he certainly had everything to go with it. But uh, as Kirby has talked about, you know, the mental part added to the physical part sometimes keeps you a little bit. It's not that they're not smart or anything, but you're going against guys that have the advantage of being being around all this stuff. And that's where coming in the spring helps you compared to reporting in June. You've got six months of football that you're learning all that, but there's a, you know, the biggest room in the world room for improvement. Uh, This was a question I mentioned earlier. This is uh, uh, from uh, Carrollton Realtor. I'm assuming they sell houses in Carrollton. Uh, hey, uh, sell Juju a house. Somebody stole his truck already. You mean sell him, give him one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to have money. He's going to have a lot here in a bit. Uh, hell, yeah, give him give him one in Athens, Carrollton. Come on. Uh, who steps in for Brock Mowers? We had two generational tight ends, and now both are gone. I get yeah, that. I think you certainly you got to adjust a little bit. It's hard to get a guy like like Bowers that can play on the outside, on the inside, you know, can play running back too. But uh, I feel very confident in Delp and Lucky you know, hampered by that injury where he had to get uh, get that surgery. But uh, I feel good about him and Sperlin. And these two, Sperlin developed and he gets, needs to get, excuse me, stronger. But uh, these other two guys really look good on the hoof. And uh, they both got here for uh, – you know, early practice in the for the bowl. One of them was here, and then the other guys here now. So uh, we, we've got a good situation there, and we got two coming in next year. Just you talking about making mouth water now. Those guys that that came from down in Camden County, Elias Williams, six seven, almost six eight, good basketball player. And then the other one over here, uh, close to Atlanta, he, he's outstanding too. So we got good tight ends. We got good, good everything. I mean, James Brown. I feel good. Uh, yeah, we go back and see that picture of Colt Heinrich and uh, Jaden Riddell. Jaden, I, I know he's on the edge of the picture, and that makes him look bigger. But you know, that boy looks gigantic. Good pick. Good pick. Yeah. I right. hope that's all of the uh, questions. Got to get my joke. I got to. Oh, joke. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So there was this priest that. You know, just got tired of everybody calling him, coming in and that, telling him his problems. So he felt like he'd go down to Mexico for a week and just kind of go incognito and, you know, not break any, have any sins or anything, just get down there and chill. And he 
goes down, buys himself some really funky beach gear and goes down on the beach and sitting out there having a pina colada. And all of a sudden this lady in this nice looking bikini comes walking up to him and says, hello, father. And walks on by and he's God, what's going on here? And so he, he thinks it's just kind of a, you know, kind of, he can't believe it, you know, just saying the lady saying something. So the next day he goes and gets some entirely different outfit and he decides just to go to the pool of the beach instead of the beach. And he's sitting there and the same lady comes up and this time she's got on a different bikini, but she gets closer to him and says, how you doing father? And walks right away. And he said, well, that wasn't a coincidence there. He said, you know, I just got to find some way to, I don't want anybody knowing I'm here. So he goes the next day, gets him a big hat, some glasses, sunglasses, everything. Goes down to the beach. And sure enough, here comes this woman again in a different bikini walking up and says, hello, father. And uh, he said, just a minute. How in the world did you recognize me? She said, I'm Sister Angelique. <laughs> That's a lot cleaner than I expected it was going to be. Yeah, same. I got the clean ones. I got another one, but I can't tell it on this show, but it's one of the all-timers. But. Right, we'll, we'll, we'll do another uh, nighttime episode of UGSports.com. We'll have uh, Coach After Dark. <laughs> I appreciate all the questions. Thanks, everybody. Hey, tune in next Tuesday. Uh, we will be talking a lot more Georgia football then, and uh, we will see you next week. Take care.